I think we can all identify with that. Well, I want to just to say on behalf of uh, Central Staff, Happy Thanksgiving. We just pray that you have an incredible week. Many of our folks are already on the road since there's no school this week, and uh, some of you are going to be leaving. Then some of you got family members coming. So we just uh, want to tell you uh, Happy Thanksgiving and uh, and. So I look forward to opening God's Word with you today. There were two friends, long, long-time friends, but they hadn't seen each other in a while. And they happened to see each other on the street and, you know, one of those things coming up. And uh, one of the guys, though, is just really, his, his whole countenance is down and, and even tears in his eyes. And, and this long-time friend asked me, man, you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. What is going on? And he said, well, he said, three weeks ago, he said, I had an uncle die. And he said, man, I'm sorry. But he said, but he left me $40,000. And he said, man, that's pretty good. Yeah, he said, but, but two weeks ago, he said, I had a cousin pass away. And, uh, but he left me $75,000. Man, that's, that's something we'll, you, you, what, what else? And he said, well, he said, last week, he said, I had an aunt, didn't even know existed, left me a quarter of a million dollars. Man, why, why are you so down, though? Why, you mean you're just carrying the weight of the world? Why are you so down? And he said, this week, nothing. <laughs> now, I say that because does that now resonate in the way we are so often. I mean, we, we, uh, we find ourselves not very grateful. I mean, God has poured himself out. He's given us all that we need for life and godliness. And yet, how often are we not grateful? We're not grateful to one another and much less to a holy God. And I started thinking about that from a personal level. I thought, God, why am I not more grateful. I mean, why am I not, especially with the Lord, why am I not more grateful to you? And I had a couple of thoughts, and, and I don't know if these will resonate with you or not. One is just uh, lethargy. And, and here's what I mean by that, is that uh, you see things, and they're, they're so common, you take them for granted, right? I got up this morning. I, I didn't worry about putting uh, putting my feet on the floor. I mean, my heart was working. My my brain was working. My lungs were working. I, and so I just, I just take those things for granted. I, I, I take my wife for granted. I take uh, my provision for granted. I take these things for granted because they're there all the time. Uh, my paycheck comes every two weeks. These things happen. And so we're not grateful because we've just gotten used to it, right? So God does what God does, and, and we just are so used to it. Uh, here, here's a case in point. A few weeks ago, uh, I leave, I leave to get up here on Sunday morning. I leave the house at 6.30. And when I got in the car, I, I looked out and man, into, into the east, there was an incredible sunrise. I mean, pink to oranges. I mean, it was gorgeous. And in fact, it was so gorgeous that I changed my route to come to the campus because I wanted to go get a better picture of it. And, and I did take a picture. And right now it's my desktop on my, uh, computer. But, uh, you know, there have been a lot of great sunrises. There was a good sunrise this morning. But the awe had left me, right? You ever been there? The, it's just, you're used to it. The awe is gone. 
you don't go do that anymore. So lethargy was one. N- number two, though, that I, d- I discovered was, I hate to admit this, I feel entitled. I mean, God, I'm your child, so I feel entitled for you to do things for me. And not just do adequate, right? But to do above and beyond, just, just, not just a car, but Lord, a new car. And, and I feel entitled to all this, God, because I prayed a prayer and I ask you into my life and, and, uh, you're entitled just to, to take care of me. And so we feel entitled and, and all of us feel entitled and, and basically the bottom line, entitlement is what? Self-centeredness. So I thought about that. I thought, man, some this lethargy, God, I take you for granted. Two, I feel entitled because I'm your child. But third, false expectations. I, I, I have these expectations for God to do certain things, and He does them another way. I, I, God, I just don't want a vehicle. I want a new vehicle. God, I don't just want clothes. I want trendy clothes. I, I don't just want... The latest gadget, uh, uh, gadgets. I want the latest, greatest gadgets that are out there. This is what I want. So I have these expectations. God has provided. Others have provided what I need. And yet I come with this, um, thank God, you know, why, why don't I not have it bigger and better? I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this. I, I would say that most of you in this room, when you struggle with gratefulness, you struggle around these very lines that I'm talking about. Um, if you have your Bibles or your devices, I want you to go to Luke chapter 17. And some of you are new to the Scriptures, you're new to the Bible, so let me kind of lay it out for you this way. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The beginning of the New Testament, there are four books called, that we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a physician, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life called Luke, and in Luke chapter 17, there is an incredible event that happened in the light of, uh, life of Jesus that is going to lead us today. Uh, many of you uh, are, are movie buffs, and especially around the holidays, right? You, uh, In fact, Pam went to bed a little bit early Friday night. I'm, I'm in there watching TV. What am I watching? There, there comes on, it's a wonderful life. Uh, so I get to see the the last hour of It's a Wonderful Life, just watching that. You, you may watch your Home Alones, Elf, uh, Santa Clauses, uh, White Christmas, Christmas Vacation. And for you Hallmark lovers, ad nauseum, you're watching uh, complete all that's going on. Our, our memory is completely full of... of uh, it's, uh, it is true, babe. It is full, but that's okay. That we're going to watch all those. But I've thought about anything that uh, would be a great holiday movie would be this story and this event out of the life of Jesus. So, with uh, with that in mind, Luke chapter seventeen. I'm going to begin in verse eleven. Let me read the whole account, and then we'll come back and kind of uh, unpack it a little bit and what God has for us. Verse eleven, chapter seventeen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, 
Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were they were cleansed. All of them were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is an incredible, what I think would be an incredible movie for Thanksgiving, for the holiday season. So let's kind of look at it that way uh, for a few minutes. First of all, let's look at the setting because every movie has a backstory. There's a setting that is taking place. And in verse 11 gives us the backstory. And here's what's going on. If you were to take Israel, in the northern part you have what's called the Galilee region, okay? The Sea of Galilee is there, uh, more country area, uh, the, the Galilee region. Then in the middle you have what's called Samaria, okay? Samaria, these people were uh, not completely Jewish. They, the, uh, the, the pure-blood Jews would say they're half-reeds, they're mixed race, and they were very much prejudiced against these people. That's in Samaria. And then the lower section is what they call Judea. It's where Jerusalem is. It, you go on down the Dead Sea is there in this kind of area. So that gives you Israel, okay? So I'm giving this setting, the backdrop. Jesus is from Galilee region. He had been down to Jerusalem sometime for some of the feasts, but he's back up in Galilee and he's making, he's been in ministry for three years and he's making the last trip from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem, okay? This is going to be the last trip because he knows that the cross awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem, okay? So he, he knows he's going to give his life for mankind. He's carrying that weight. And he's going from Galilee region all the way down to Jerusalem, but he needs to go through Samaria. He's probably not alone. There's probably people going with him, the, the 12 and other people that would follow along. But he's coming along the border of the Galilee region and Samaria, okay? So uh, what, what would kind of uh, let you know about that area a little bit is that Jesus encountered another time. He encountered a woman at a well in Samaria, and he changed her life radically, eternally. And uh, Jesus, most Jews would travel around Samaria. Jesus wasn't so much caught up in that because he loved all people. He'd just do the straight route. But here he is in this very area. And so that's the backdrop, okay? Jesus headed towards the cross, headed towards Jerusalem, but he's got to go through Samaria, okay? Now, let's look at the cast, okay? So let's look at our cast of characters. First of all, you have Jesus. Obviously, he's the main figure in the story. And uh, what I just said to you will help you to understand a little bit. He is carrying the weight, literally, of all the world on his back. He has got to be thinking about this, that he is leaving ministry that he's been doing for three years. And if he's going to get to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify him. They're going to take his life. And he is under that intense pressure of headed down that way. Um, we also know that when Jesus traveled, he always had crowds that were trying to touch him, take from him, uh, get healing from him, get food from him, 
fish and chips from him, whatever they could get, uh, because they wanted to be close to him. Also, I believe that Jesus realized that his closest followers were going to depart from him, and he was going to go through this whole fight alone. And also, the lepers, these ten lepers, said Jesus, and then they used another term, Master, which means ultimate authority, King of the universe, basically. You are the Messiah. You are King Jesus, ultimate authority. So this is who Jesus is, okay? He's carrying the weight of the world. He's going to give his life. He uh, has been giving himself away. He's serving all of mankind. He knows that he's going to uh, be left by those that follow him the closest. And this is what he's going through. Okay? So that's Jesus, our cast member. But then there are ten lepers. Okay? Now, let me explain biblical leprosy to you a little bit because it's a historical thing, still exists today in a, in a, a minuscule scale in places in the world. But it was very common in biblical days. The, uh, a leper, just kind of give you a little bit of background, it's interesting that these lepers, uh, Jews would hang out with Jews, okay, is the way it normally happened. But this particular group of lepers... There was a Samaritan in there. Who knows what was else in this group? And what it shows me is uh, common uh, diseases, common aches, common pains that we go through in life bond humanity together. And these lepers had come together, the ten of them. They could not come into a location with those people that did not have leprosy because they might catch it. They had to... Leprosy was a skin disease, yes, but it also affected the nerve endings, okay? So a leper might lose uh, their digits, whether it's their fingers or their toes or their nose at times. They would have to wrap themselves. They would have these sores. Literally, they were called the walking dead, okay? That's who lepers were. They had to call out at a distance that we are unclean. They couldn't even come to their family. They couldn't touch anybody, so it's not just a physical thing. Now it's an emotional thing that they're going through, okay? And so they're crying out to Jesus. But it's interesting that when you read the Bible and you read the accounts of leprosy, that oftentimes sin in a life is often equated like leprosy in the physical body. Let me, let me share with you what I, what I mean. A leper per, perhaps inherited his disease that he is carrying. We have inherited a sin nature that is there. Um, sin separates you from, uh, uh, excuse me, leprosy separates you from others on a physical level. Sin separates us from God on a spiritual level. Leprosy is, is fatal. The wages of sin is death. Leprosy makes you unclean. Sin makes us spiritually unclean. So, in other words, you and I, without Christ, are spiritual lepers. We are unclean. God, we cannot even come into the presence of God because of this. That's why Jesus, it is so important that he get to the cross and do what he's going to do. So that's these lepers that are there, and, and they are uh, definitely a huge part of this story. But 
Now we've got our setting, we've got our cast, now let's look at the action that is about to unfold, okay? First of all, the lepers begin to cry out. Now, they had to be loud, I'm sure there was a crowd there as well. They begin to cry out. What do they cry out? Jesus, Master, we've already talked about that, have pity on us. They didn't say heal us, they just said have pity on us. Literally what they were asking, or have mercy on us, They were literally saying, feel what we're going through. You know, it's one thing for a doctor to be able to say, diagnose your problem. It's another thing when they feel and have the compassion of your problem. And that's what they're crying out. Have have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Feel what we're going through because this has isolated us from humanity. We're dying. We're physically uncomfortable. We're going through this. We're emotionally exhausted. This is king of the universe. Please feel what we're going through. I love the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us about how that Jesus, especially in chapter 4, he has felt, he feels everything that we are going through. He knows isolation. He knows physical abuse. He knows what it means to be outcast by society. He can feel what they're going through. So when they say, Jesus, Master, feel for us, man, he identifies with that. And he does feel for them. Um, And then this is what Jesus says. He doesn't say, be healed. He, He says this in verse 14. He says, you need to go and show yourself to the priest. This was the Old Testament. The priest would declare whether you're healed or not. You need to go, and the word go obviously means get up and go, but it means this. you got to think, these lepers had probably been beggars. They had gotten used to their lifestyle. They were doing what they're doing, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, you need to leave, no more walking in pity, no more begging. You're going to have to get up from where you're at, and you need to go see the priest, and he will make the declaration of whether you are uh, uh, clean or not. In other words... You've got to leave your way of life. I think this is interesting in that to be a follower of Jesus, hear me on this, to be a follower of Jesus, it's going to mean that you're going to have to leave the past behind. And that's very, very, very difficult. And I think that's part of the story here. You need to leave that way and go to where I'm sending you. Obey, walk in obedience, um, show the priest, uh, do what God has said for you to do. It reminds me of another story in the Old Testament, if you've read the Bible. In, in one of the kings, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Naaman, okay? Naaman was a, from Aram. He was the commander of their armies. He was a bigwig in Aram, and they had defeated the Israelites in many, many areas. But he came down with leprosy. And he didn't know what to do about his leprosy. And he had this little servant girl that had been t- taken in by their conquest, one of their conquests. She was Israelite. And she said, I know a prophet that can heal you. And uh, he said, well, who is he? And Elijah, and he's down, but you need to go down to Israel and see him. So Naaman, wanting to be cured of his leprosy, goes down to see Elijah. And so as he goes down there to see him, uh, what happens is, is that the, the prophet tells him this. 
You can be cleansed, but what you need to do is go down and wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, this is a, this is a high and mighty guy from Aram. He, he is a, a commander in chief. He's very prideful. And he comes down here to Israelites whom they have conquered at many times. And he is told to go wash in the dirty river Jordan, right? So he, he's thinking, there's no way I'm going to go down there and wash in that dirty river. And then what is said to him is, listen, if something greater was said to you that you needed to do to be healed, you would do it. So he goes down there to Jordan. He washes in the water. And sure enough, he comes out cleansed. Now, here's the deal. And I think it equates with these lepers here. And it equates with us, with our spiritual leprosy. Is this. You can choose to not be obedient. And with that choice, you can choose to remain in your sickness. And so when Jesus said, you need to go and show yourself to the priest, they had to leave from where they were, and they had to go. And then this is what it says. Notice in verse uh, 14 once again, as they went, they were all cleansed. They were all brought physical relief, is what that literally means. And then it says in verse 15, one of them, the Samaritan leper, the one who is unclean, the Jews wouldn't even talk to, he is the one that comes back. And what does he do? It says, I, I love how Luke is so descriptive of this. He says, once he understood that he was healed, he stopped in his tracks, literally, immediately, he came back praising God with a loud voice. And he didn't care who knew it. He didn't care. He was coming back to praise Jesus because of what he had done for him. And he's crying out in a loud voice. And then it says this. He fell at his feet and began. And the, the, the way the verbiage is here, he continued to give thanksgiving. It wasn't just a one time coming back. Thank you, Jesus, for healing. I mean, he's continuously crying out because he is so grateful for the thanksgiving. Uh, it's so grateful for the healing, the physical relief that has come to him. It, it's a beautiful picture here of falling at the feet of Jesus. And my question for us is, when was the last time you were ever so grateful just for a holy God who has set an eternal destination, who has given you complete forgiveness and, and, and provided so much for you, when was the last time you cried out to Him, fell at His feet in thanksgiving? Let's be honest. Most of us never, never. That's a sad indictment upon us. Lord, forgive us for being ungrateful. Forgive me for being so ungrateful to You. And then Jesus asked three questions. Um, you know, I don't know who they were exactly to. Were they just to the leper? But he asked him three questions. First of all is this. We're not all brought relief. We're not all cleansed. We're not all brought physical relief. And he knew they all were. And, and then the next question is, where are the other nine? Where are they? Um, one has come back. Where are the other nine? And then the last question he simply asked him is that, you mean the only one that comes back is this outsider? This is the one that comes back. Man, I take that questioning pretty serious, is that am I one of the nine? 
Am I one of those who God has provided so much for me, not just physically, but has provided for me uh, emotionally, provided for me eternally through Jesus at the cross? And am I one of the nine that does not come back and say thank you? Or is somebody else going to do it when I should be doing it? And then notice the last action that takes place here in verse 19. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, in the English language, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Made you well. Think, wasn't he already well? I mean, wasn't he already given the physical relief? Yes, he was given physical relief. The term here, made you well, in the Greek language, literally means that you were made whole. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, you have been made whole because of what you have done. You see, that's one thing to have physical relief, and you can still die and be eternally separated from God in hell. But it's another thing to come and to see the cleansing, total wholeness that comes from Christ. Some of you today have received incredible benefits from God. I mean, He has been so gracious to you that you have found relief. You have found a lot of help through life. But you have never come to the point of submitting to Him as Lord of your life. And you received a lot of earthly comfort, but eternally, who knows? This leper comes and falls at the feet of Jesus in a heart of gratitude. And out of that, his faith is evident. And Jesus says, you have been made completely whole. I think there are three points that I'll make real quick. Number one is this. God seems to do most in interruptions. God works in interruptions. He works in interruptions. Notice that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. That was the destination. But have you ever looked at the life of Jesus? Most of His miracles and His really God things that He did were interruptions. A woman reaches out and touches His garment and is healed. Uh, you've got blind men screaming at Him to heal Him. He, he's got to go take care of them. Zacchaeus, a wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? He, and as the Savior passed that way, Jesus is passing that way. The interruption is Zacchaeus, but what happens is, is Zacchaeus gets set free eternally by the King of Kings in a disruption. Jesus' best work happened not in a synagogue or in a temple, but out among people in interruptive times. God works in the interruptions. Why can we not see God in the interruptions? Listen, the ultimate destination for Jesus was the cross. But yet He did not see disruptions and interruptions as keeping Him from that, but He saw God's hand in that. I think the challenge for you and me today is not get so set in our destinations that we miss God in the interruptions. Okay? Sometimes, some of you, life has not turned out like you thought it was going to turn out. It's been an interruption. Why can we not see God in the interruption? 
How about something simple, like the next time you don't get to go through the light and it turns red on you and you're getting all hot and bothered by that, why don't you see God as a bigger picture in what may be happening? I think sometimes, uh, even in illness, which becomes an interruption, God may have a special word for you for a nurse or a doctor that you see that day, or an uh, optometrist or or whoever, a dentist, whoever you may be seeing. Um, other times, your car breaks down, which is a terrible interruption, right? Because we got place, places to go and to be. Maybe God needs a word for that mechanic, and you are the one to give that word. I, I think we miss, we miss so much in the interruptions because we're headed somewhere so fast. God uses the interruptions. He uses your interruptions in life. So that's number one. Number, number two is this. Uh, God's salvation is for everyone. I, I love it that this group of lepers was multi-ethnic. And it lets me know once again that Jesus came for every man. And I can tell you this. Seven billion people on this planet... He is involved in the life of every one of them. Jesus is not American. He's not a Texan. I know. We think he, we made him a good Texan. But Jesus is for every man. Every man, woman, child, all of humankind. Ezekiel said it, and then Peter said it again in his Second Peter, is that God is not desirous for anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. Jesus is for everyone. I don't know what your prayer list looks like. You probably pray for those family members to come to Christ that don't know Him, for your neighbors to come to Christ that don't know Him, your classmates to come to Christ that don't know Him. But can you understand that God is actively at work in the life of everyone. And He desires all to come to Christ. And then thirdly, the last point is this. God's heart is moved by thanksgiving. His heart is moved by thanksgiving. The one that came back, falling at the feet of Jesus, He is the one that received something eternal. And it was in that act of faith of thanksgiving that he received true salvation. I wonder. This is just a wonder. Most of our prayer lists are wish lists for God, right? Heal somebody. Save somebody. Make me comfortable. Do this for me. Let us, let us do... I mean, we just make this wish list for God and this is our prayer life. I just wonder if we came just in hearts of gratitude before God, would we not see maybe the wish list take place? Maybe just being grateful for life itself and eternal life and all that He has provided for us. Maybe in just having a heart and an attitude of gratitude, maybe we may see more God-sized things take place. Maybe. I just know that God's heart is moved with gratitude. 
So, are you willing to see God in the interruptions? Do you realize He's for everyone? And then to look at the fact that uh, He is at work and He moves with thanksgiving. I, I, I read something, and I'll end with this. I, I read about a guy this week, and his name is Martin Rinkert. Now, some of you may know who Martin Rinkert is. I did not. So I had to do some studying because I like to know the background of somebody I'm going to talk about is not something that's made up. Martin Rinkert lived in the 1600s in Germany. He, uh, he was a religious man. He was a, a minister of sorts, not necessarily a priest, but he was a deacon in a church and a, a devout man of following the Lord. He happened to live in Germany during what was called the Thirty Year War. He lived in a particular village that was walled in, and so many refugees would come into that town during the Thirty Year War, and many of them were ill, and they were having to take care of them, and they would die, and they would have to uh, once again care for them. Out of the Thirty Year War came the plague that hit in Germany. Out of that plague, all of these people, many of them in the village, uh, were, would die. And it so happened that in this village, the two priests that were there died. And so Rinkert ended up being the man who was the spiritual man in the town. And he would do, hear this, as many as 40 funerals a day. Now, uh, it may not have been the stretch out, uh, you know, stretching out of a funeral. It may have been just saying words. But can you imagine 40 a day doing these funerals for people that are dying? And it just so happened that one of those that would pass away would be his wife. And he would speak over her as well. He did this for years. It was said that when Rinkert eventually died, that he he was prematurely aged just by the stress of the emotion of taking care of these people during this time. Now, that's Rinkert's life, and you're thinking, my good night, that's, not, that's terrible that he had to go through that. Rinkert was also known as a hymn writer, and he wrote a hymn, and I, I want you just to hear the lyrics of this hymn that, you, that, that he wrote now that you know the background of his life. And the name of the hymn is this, Now thank we all our God. Verse 1, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Verse 2, Oh, may this bounteous God through, through all our life be near us with every joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and guard us through all ills in this world till the next. Third and last verse. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in the highest heaven, the one eternal God, whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore.
knowing that he had gone through all of the hardships he had gone through, still had an attitude of gratitude in thanking God. I have never gone through what Rinkert has gone through in his life, and yet he had an attitude of gratitude. How much more does God want us to have the same thing? Here's what I want us to do. I want you to stand with me, if you would. Just kind of put your stuff aside and stand with me. I'm going to pray over you. But what I want you to do is just take your hands and clench them in a fist, just in front of you, however that looks for you. And and I want to pray for you. And then I, I want to, I'm going to ask you to do something. So... Just uh, just hold them there a minute. Let me pray, and then I will instruct you. Almighty God, the one that heals lepers physically and has provided all for spiritual lepers. We come before you this day declaring that you alone are God. And Lord, in our hands, symbolically, is all of the things that we either possess or have or uh, is around us. And Lord, we come today to pray and say thank you. I'm just going to throw out some things to you to pray Thanksgiving. And you just open your hands and release to God right where you're at, folks. Thank Him for life. Thank Him for breath today. Thank Him for a heart that's beating. Thank Him for praying. You can do it out loud if you want to. I, I, it's just up to you. But, but I, I just want, to, I want God to know we're grateful today. Thank Him for your provision. Thank Him for the cars you drive, the house that you have to live in, food that you have to eat, the clothing that you wear. Thank Him for the provision of the job or the school that you have. Thank Him for those who have been so influential in your life, those that have been spiritually influential, those that have been educationally Influential, those bosses, those teachers that have, have, have given to you. Thank Him for your family. Thank Him for your spouse or thank Him for your parents. Thank Him for your siblings and, and, uh, thank Him for, for this, the, those who have been family that have been so instrumental in your life. Now we're going to get hard. Paul said to be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your quest be made known to God. Can you just thank Him for those hard times in your life when He was there? Thank Him for those physical ailments when He was still there. Thank Him for those relational struggles you had. Maybe it was a, a failed marriage or, or maybe it was a uh, uh, someone that had betrayed you. Say, God, thank you that you were with me in the middle of that. 
And then thank Him for salvation. Thank Him for Jesus coming down from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem to that wooden cross that He shed His blood for you so that you could be whole. Not just relieved, but whole. Thank Him for His forgiveness. Thank Him for His Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers. Thank Him for a community, a church of other believers to be able to gather with. Thank Him for hope for the future. Thank Him for eternity that awaits. Brett and the team are just going to sing. You can join them when you're ready, but I, I just want you to... Because Listen, if I'd have sent you out with this exercise, you wouldn't do it. So we're just going to do it now. We're just going to say thank you now. As Amy sings a song over us and, and we join in together, let's declare our thankful hearts unto God right now. Lord, come. As we continue to give thanks, you come. Mm-hmm.